0: Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me as always is my colleague Joe Healy, and we are here to talk about and recap weekend 2 of college baseball. It's a busy weekend around the country in that there were there there were a lot of, of intriguing matchups. There were not there there was just the one game between top 25 opponents, so a little little lighter in terms of headliners, but still a lot of things happened around the country. And this time of year, we're just learning about all of these teams. So any information is, uh, is welcome. And uh, we, we have a lot to break down here today, including Stanford sweeping through the Round Rock Classic, uh, Texas staying undefeated with the sweep of Alabama and their pitching staff looking great while doing so, Sac State's upset, uh, at Long Beach State, uh, they enter the top twenty-five. As do the Terps uh, of Maryland, and we're going to talk about all that and more here today on the Baseball America College Podcast. Uh, Joe, it was it was a good weekend. Uh, it was a little cold for a lot of people around the country, I am sure, but it was uh, it was a fun weekend of college baseball.
1: Yeah, for sure. Just kind of like we anticipated, there were some some things we anticipated being interesting coming into the weekend turned out to be the case, there were some things we weren't necessarily looking at that ended up being interesting in the end. So the the weekend always provides as many games as college baseball gives you on any given weekend, you're bound to kind of, you know, work, find your way into something. So that, that definitely provided, you know, off the field stuff. It was, you're right. It was a a cold weekend. It was just a tough, tough weather weekend. Um, It felt like most of the, of the most important stuff got played one way or the other. Uh, most notably Round Rock was a, you know, was come Heller High Water was gonna find a way to get that Stanford, Arkansas game <laughs> rescheduled. So they got that done. But we did see some cancellations around. And the other thing this weekend I think was uh I don't know, good for is the right word, because it certainly complicates the work you and I do. And I think it it confuses the issue a little bit. But this is a big weekend for the transitive property where you know, we'll talk about some of these results and you know, we see one result, and it makes us kind of question what we thought we knew after the first weekend. Um, just because you know we we drew one conclusion and now we've uh, that conclusion has been has been perhaps counteracted, which is not a problem we really have in April because we understand that from week to week things happen, and we at that point have a body of work. But without that type of body of work, we are just kind of left drifting in the wind. So uh, I, I won't uh, jump too much into it because we will talk about the individual results that, that make us question things as, as we go on. But there definitely was, I think that is a unique feature of week two, which is, you know, jumping to conclusions in week one. It's part of the job as much as I joke about trying not to do it. And then the second week kind of realizing, oh, wait a minute, maybe we didn't have this quite right. And then, of course, it remains to be seen. One of those two things is probably an overreaction in one direction or the other. And we will, water will find its level eventually, but not quite yet.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. A lot of uh, conflating information, I guess, at, at this stage of the season. You know, teams vary from week to week, and right now we've just had two weeks. There's no, you know, there's no way we can really figure out what what is noise and what is real, and and what is most real, or, or any of the rest of that. Teams are what they are to this point, and and they've played somewhere between like five and eight games uh it, it's just it's just not a very large sample size for anyone uh, around the country and that uh that makes things a little tougher but it also uh adds to the fun of the of the early season and uh, adds to you know some of the some of the wildness that uh people come to love in in college sports and college baseball uh, no exception right there well let's start in round Rock Texas where the round rock classic was being held and the only top 25 game was played it was played a day late arkansas and stanford headlined the field in round rock two top 10 teams and they were scheduled to play on saturday saturday afternoon uh, i guess poor weather uh, led that game to be postponed they were able to reschedule it for sunday afternoon and give all the teams their full complement of games there in Round Rock. So that was great to see that they were able to do that, uh, and that you know Stanford was still able to get its three games, as was Arkansas. You know, despite whatever travel, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not a short trip from Austin, which is you know Round Rock is suburban Austin. Uh, it's not a short trip from Austin to to Stanford. So uh, good job for everyone to to be able to work that. Worked that game in and Stanford uh, made good work of, of Arkansas. They beat them 5-0 to complete a sweep of the tournament. The Cardinal were outstanding on the weekend there. They allowed one run. It was in the first inning against Louisiana. Mm. Uh, the next 26 innings of that tournament, the Cardinal threw up zeros. Very, very impressive all the way around from the Cardinal pitching staff. and. Uh, you know, the the bats came to play, as you would expect. Uh, it was it was a pretty comprehensive performance from Stanford.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. The uh, you know how last week we were talking about, uh, you know, you're always playing defense against people being like, you know, you don't have this little fact right. So therefore, we can't trust anything you say. The uh, the middle game against Indiana was shortened to seven innings. So they they threw up, uh, let's see, 20, they 24 scoreless innings after giving up a run in the first inning because this is the middle because I uh, I know that because I was typing up in our top 25 recaps last night and typed like literally that exact same sentence and was like, you know, I better check to make sure they played <laughs> nine in all three games, they did not so there you go. Um, also, uh, aside aside. The track record, I gotta say. You know the. Th- Texas has become, and I and I get it, you know, in in, in the grand scheme of things, it is a good option for early season tournaments and and what have you, but it kind of gets lumped in. There's a lot of stuff happening in Florida. There's really less happening in Southern California. There's a lot of series in Southern California, not so much tournaments. We talked about that last week, but you know, Florida and and SoCal, we know is gonna be pretty warm. But Texas kind of gets lumped into this group. But like the track record of these early season Texas tournaments, weather-wise, is just not good. Like we had this year at Round Rock where just kudos to them for getting all, all all the games in, not on their original schedule, but getting them all in, but just was brutal weather-wise. You know, we we know what happened, the, the State Farm Tournament to start off um, the, the season in 2020, like all the, the, the chaos around that with the winter storm that came in. I was in Frisco right. 2021. Yes, thank you perhaps the 2020 was a reprieve in the early season. I don't really remember anything specific there, but in 2019,
0: I think it was cold in Frisco that year. It's always cold. And in, in these yeah. tournaments, like it's, it's February in Texas, it's cold.
1: Yeah. I, I was, at, I was in Frisco in 2019 and they ended up canceling the entire Sunday slate because it was too cold. Like and, and these tournaments are, they, they do not want to cancel entire days. It goes without saying, but especially at tournaments like these that, that draw out of towners in, it's not like a, like a series where 90 percent of the people who are coming to the game are locals anyway or what are family or what have you um you know they're drawing people from out of town so long story short they don't want to do that but anyway i say all that to say like track record not great on the, on those early season texas tournaments now nothing you can do about it is the it is what it is but just yeah interesting there but yeah impressive performance for stanford um you know we we've we've beaten the drum all all preseason about look you know look to the pitching look to the pitching that's that's really going to be what controls stanford's ceiling their floor is pretty high based on well you know we we expect the offense to be really really good you know and, and the the pitching is the is the question mark um but with what they've shown so far i i think i think it stands to reason that the the ceiling is is really really high uh, for this group and it's been a mix it's been you know a guy like alex williams you know as long as he's healthy continuing what he's done throughout his crew when he's been able to get on the mound it's you know, younger guys like Drew Dowd or Joey Dixon taking big steps forward. So it's it's really a team effort here. It's not just the young guys taking a step. It's some of the veterans. Uh, Quinn Matthews was the name I failed to mention there, which is probably the most notable of them because he's the guy who pitched so well in the start against Arkansas. But you know, another veteran there. But it's it's veterans who are stepping up into bigger roles and uh, being steady leaders. It's it's the young guys clearly showing they're ready to take on a little bit more and. The other thing it's done there is the offense has been pretty good for Stanford, but it's not been overwhelming. It's not been like Arizona where, you know, Arizona, you're like, Oh my, Oh my goodness. Like th- this offense is, is incredible. You know, or, or some of the sec teams we ha- that we've seen so far, like the offense hasn't been that it's been pretty good, but it hasn't been excellent. And so this pitching staff being as good as it is, I think what you're seeing is what we've been talking about all preseason, which is when the pitching staff pitches like this, the offense doesn't really have to do that much heavy lifting. We assume uh, the offense will be a little bit better as the season goes on. And then maybe that role reverses a little bit. And that's that's the benefit, of course, of having as well-balanced a team as what Stanford appears to have right now.
0: Yeah, for me, the story of the weekend was Stanford's pitching because, you know, 26, 24, whatever, <laughs> however many zeros in a row they threw up, uh, it was it was loud. Uh, as a team, Stanford now has a 1.92 ERA, and that is with giving up 11 runs against Fullerton last Saturday. They've thrown four shutouts in seven games. Uh like you mentioned, they're getting it from all over the place. Uh the Alex Williams was the the leading returner, the most notable name. He's done what he needs to do on Friday nights, but you know, it's it's come from so many different players. Joey Dixon coming out of the bullpen has been has been great as has uh freshman Brayden Montgomery. Uh those two guys at the back end you know really feels like Uh, and Tommy O'Rourke I should I should mention as well like those guys feel like they can shorten games for Stanford right now it's a little unclear whether they're going to need how many how many games they're going to need to get shortened because uh, you know they do have a, a trio of starters that are working really well right now and they did it this weekend against three offenses that are at least pretty good if not better than pretty good we can talk a little bit about Arkansas's bats here and what may or may not be going on there but uh, you know that that's supposed to be a really talented offense indiana showed this weekend it's it's a pretty good offense and uh the cajuns are maybe not traditionally built as as a premium offense but it's a matt deggs offense it puts a lot of pressure on you it's it's just a different kind of attack uh but it's it's still a pretty pretty strong one that you have to deal with and so for for stanford to come out and do what it did that was really loud on the mound and and you know you're talking about the ceiling for Stanford, if Stanford is going to pitch like this, and let's let's acknowledge that their team ERA is not going to stay under two all year. That's that's not how these things work, and they're not going to keep throwing shutouts in more than 50% of of their games. But in general, if Stanford is going to pitch like this, Stanford belongs on a short list of national title favorites. Uh, They are ranked number two in the country right now. I mean, that's certainly you know, tells you what we think about their ceiling, but I'll say it more explicitly Stanford pitching like this can go out and win a national title and it shouldn't be a surprise you know, on any level that, you know, they are the favorites in the pack 12 and, and, and all the rest of that they, they are, they have this excellent lineup and now you're seeing the development of the pitching staff.
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And so I, I won't, oftentimes I'll do this thing where I say, no, I have nothing to add. And then I go on to add like three minutes of, of uh context there, but I think I have nothing to add there. It's, it's a team that, that very much could win a national title. They look like that kind of team And you know, you, you alluded to the Arkansas offense and, you know, I think for Arkansas fans, it maybe feels a little too eerily similar to the way last season ended where, you know, the, the offense was really, really good all season. And then you got kind of into the postseason and it became pretty reliant on can we hit a home run at the exact right moment? And if if they weren't getting that, it felt like they were a little bit stuck in, in neutral. And the offense felt a little like that over the weekend. Now, it gives and it takes away, right? I mean, the, the last game of the weekend against the Cajuns, they're trailing late and they get a big three-run homer from Jalen Battles and like, ta-da, there it is, you know, um, and they bring it home. Um, but right now, it kind of feels like they're in that type of mode. And there are some specific guys who are, who are wearing it a little bit. You know, my freshman of the year pick Peyton Stovall is, is not, you know, having a very good start to, to his career there. And like, that's understandable It's a freshman. I get that, but you know, that's a guy they were putting in a prominent spot, you know, they were leading him off, you know? Um, and so it, it, they are kind of, I think mixing and matching a little bit right now. And it's the, the advantage of being early in the season. You still have time to kind of do that stuff, but it clearly does look like an offense that that knows it's a little bit stuck and is trying to to make things work. It is, is. Uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of button mashing right now on the lineup to just try to find the right combinations.
0: Yeah, Arkansas has found a way to make this work to this point. They're four and two. Um, it's not the loudest four and two that you'll find out there. It's Illinois that the wins are against Illinois State, Indiana, and Louisiana, and, and those are solid wins, um, not spectacular, but they are going to need to be better. All around, they're going to need to be better on the mound. Although that has not been a, a significant concern yet. It's not like they're giving up a bunch of runs in every game. They just haven't been the the tightest pitching staff. Um, But to to me, right now, that that remains the bigger concern than the offense. I, I think they'll lock it in. I, I trust the talent there. Uh, I, I still would want to see a little bit more from the pitching staff before I you know say that. They're okay and and the offense is is the bigger concern right now. But Arkansas just hasn't fully clicked yet. They're still winning games. They're gonna be dangerous once they do click, but but in the in the immediate, um, this is this is not quite what th- this is certainly not peak Arkansas, and they still have a couple of weeks to to figure it out.
1: yeah, hundred percent. like and to be clear, I you know, I um I, I'm with you. I think that long term, the concern is, uh, more of the pitching staff than it is the offense just in, in this moment. You know, it, it's kind of funny that the pitching staff has actually been, been doing enough to where if, if the offense had really been clicking, um, you know, they'd be in a little bit of a different spot. Um, you know, it wasn't a great weekend for, for Hagen Smith in his start, but he looked really good opening weekend. But, you know, Connor Noland, um, you know, talk about an up and down career. You know, he, he there were there were kind of some some talk going through the fall and the preseason that, hey, he looks like a different guy. He looks like he's ready to – to really be a guy that he's shown flashes of, of being and has been in the past but hasn't been able to consistently be well through a couple of weeks he looks pretty pretty doggone good and then Jackson Wiggins against against the Cajuns it looked like he was maybe in for a bit of a short start there um, but he, he really did a good job giving them some length um, you know three runs in six innings which isn't going to blow your socks off but for a guy who has had a lot of difficulty being the type of pitcher who can prove to be a steady starter like that's a, a pretty solid step forward i would say so and they've had some good you know cole ramage has been really good at the bullpen he ended up coming on late in the game against louisiana to shut the door there um so i'm I'm with you generally uh, you know the concerns are still more with the pitching staff if you're looking for signs of positive progress from that unit i, I think you can certainly find them um, but yes i the offense will come around i'm not i'm not too worried about that it's just uh, that has been what feels like has hung them up a little bit in the early going is just not quite locking in on that side of the ball.
0: Arkansas goes back home this week. They have Nebraska Omaha midweek and then Southeastern Louisiana. And then they have Illinois Chicago the following week, um, ahead of sec play. It should be an opportunity to get right. Although USC did this weekend, uh, win a series at Cal, um, but but the, they should be able to use the next two weeks uh, as an opportunity to get things going. If they're not in a better spot at the start of SEC play, uh, you know, I think it's a different conversation. But right now, I'm willing to give benefit of the doubt, both because this is Arkansas and we understand the talent and we understand the track record of many of these players and of that coaching staff. And also because it's been cold. And, you know, I, yes, there are teams putting up a lot of runs. Plane where it's been cold and all the rest of it. But for a team that is as home run happy as the Hogs have been in, in over the last several years, uh, you know, the ball just doesn't fly as well when it's cold. And, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens as, uh, as, as the weather heats up. But for now, Arkansas doing, uh, you know, they're, they're, like you said, there are flashes of, of reason to be uh, optimistic about the the pitching staff and, and the the offense is doing enough to, uh, to keep them picking up wins. Alrighty. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll keep it in the Austin area here and, uh, talk about the horns sweep of Alabama here in a second, but first check this out.
2: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed.
0: All right, Joe. Just about half an hour away from Dell Diamond, there in Round Rock, uh, Texas, was taking on Alabama at Dish Falk Field in Austin, and the number one Longhorns stayed undefeated with the sweep of Alabama. And you know what Stanford did on the mound this weekend was basically what Texas did as well. They did allow one run in twenty-seven innings. They they actually did play twenty-seven there in Austin. Uh, it came in the sixth inning on Sunday, uh, Arkansas or Arkansas, Alabama, uh, you know, got it on a solo home run against Tanner Witt. That was the only run they got on the weekend. Texas has also thrown four shutouts in eight games, just a a phenomenal start on the mound for, for the Longhorns. Unlike Stanford, however, this is kind of what we were expecting from Texas I we we talked plenty before the season I wrote plenty before the season about how Texas was going to be elite at run prevention and that that has certainly borne itself out here through the first two weeks.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean the, the pitching is the the headline item here but you know they're also fielding 983 as a team. Like that that's a number that probably I mean I guess it could. I mean we knew it was going to be probably an elite defensive team as well but not likely to hold. I mean that's that's an elite elite number there. Um, so really, yeah, run prevention is, has been the name of the game, and, and doing enough offensively, you know. Um, and the numbers offensively are actually, you know, I kind of went into it thinking like, you know, the, the the pitching staff was probably dragging the offense along, but they've they've had some some pretty nice things so far. So um, they've looked. I, the one thing
0: about that is they scored a bunch of runs against Rice. And, yeah, fair. You That's know, fair. I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of where the Texas offense is right now because if you look at some. If you just scroll through their staff page, you'll see, like, oh, it seems like the offense is doing pretty well. But they scored nine runs this weekend against Alabama. Alabama's a team that came in with questions on the mound. Uh, it looks like I, – I think the Alabama pitching staff looked pretty good this weekend. I watched a fair amount of this series. I, I, I'm not terribly concerned about that. Um, and, like, some of the underlying numbers on the Texas offense don't look as good as – you know the peripherals actually are. For instance, Ivan Melendez is hitting like 250, but has like four of his hits or extra base hits. And he's uh he's drawing a ton of walks. Mitchell Daly has not gotten it going yet. And he was so good as a freshman a year ago. I I I don't know where the Texas offense is yet. We'll find out a lot more about that this weekend. But I'm not I'm not concerned, but I, I think if you just look at it superficially, um the rice series and the fact that they played two midweeks against corpus christi is is kind of weighing in there
1: yeah fair enough it, to it, to be completely honest i forgot that that first series had been such so lopsided so i, I <laughs> kind of forget about that part of it which is also leading to the fact that they've almost as a team walked as much as they've struck out which that certainly will not hold up but um but yeah so yeah they, they've looked the part of the number one team in the country so far there's just really not not a whole lot to say there um this is ex- i mean this is truly exactly what we thought we'd see from them right i mean that the pitching is overwhelming they're fielding the ball at an elite rate the offense is doing enough um so they've just they've lived up to that expectation and i i came into the weekend you mentioned you know alabama's pitching you think being pretty good i mean I, i'm with you i mean would it have been nice for al for alabama's sake to get a win in this series like absolutely but Like I said, before the weekend, I think it was more about how do you stack up and, and, you know, clearly the offense had problems, but like, that's going to happen to a lot of teams that play Texas. And and I think if you're Alabama, you come away thinking, ah, gosh, you know, we were, we were like one swing of the bat away from really being in this thing. Um, you know, one swing of the bat in, in in each of those games, except maybe Sunday um, for, for, from really being in those games. And there's, you know, that's, that's, that's not going to really, you know, they would probably tell me there's no moral victories there, but I don't know, like for a, for a program, that's really trying to climb uphill. We've talked about this ad nauseum, just how hard the climb is when you're, when you're a team that's down in the sec as Alabama was when, when Brad Bohannon took over, like it is that climb back up is just so, so difficult. It's not as easy as maybe, you know, Tennessee made it look, you know, the last couple of years with, with Tony Vitello, like generally speaking, it's not that easy to do. And I think we're seeing how, how much friction there can be in that process. But I think they they acquitted themselves nicely and I, I, you know, it leaves me thinking positive things about their ability to compete come SEC play.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, they certainly would have liked a win here. They were undefeated coming into it. I, you know, I, I, I don't think they can be happy with how this weekend went, but I think there's a lot of things you can take from it optimistically they actually out-hit Texas in at least the first two games of the series. I don't think they did on Sunday, but they out-hit Texas in the first two games. They just didn't find the clutch, uh, clutch hit, the clutch play. You know, Texas on Friday night won uh, on a wild pitch. That was how the the win and run came home in a one to nothing game. Uh, you know, so it, it, it was that close on on Friday night. They got a great start. Alabama did from Garrett McMillan. Uh, That's outstanding news six scoreless innings at Texas Uh, Grayson hit has been very good for them on Sundays like there's a lot of things coming together on the mound for Alabama. Uh, The the lineup is not an SEC West lineup like it's not Arkansas it's not Ole Miss it's not LSU, Uh, but I, I think that it's good enough and you know they'll keep growing into it and, and this weekend was was big for them in terms of experience and seeing what they saw from Texas because uh you know while they might not face a pitching staff as good as Texas again they, they won't I I would expect I, I do think Texas is the best in the country but they're going to face you know so many teams you know you you face Texas and you're like well we'll never see that again well if you play in the SEC you'll see something similar and uh you know so Alabama can feel good that its pitchers went toe to toe with uh, what what should be the best of the country.
1: Yeah, that is kind of uh, funny is not the right word. Certainly, Alabama would not use the word funny, but it is interesting that because that's that's a really good point is that if you if you want to look at the if you really want to look at the negative side of this, and I would urge you to not that's just not a very good outlook on life. I feel like, but you know, if you really wanted to look at the negative side of this, you could also look at it as like, well, Texas is pitching is the best in the country but like if you made a list of the top 10 there's going to be a whole bunch of other teams alabama is going to see that are going to fall in that top 10. so um you know that's the flip side of that so you know they, they will have to be a little more competitive at the plate as time goes on but you know what for for a second weekend of the season showing against the best team in the country like that, that's uh you know i think we can take away that you know what they're, they're at least going to have a have a chance to uh to do some things
0: yeah and, and- not to belabor the Alabama point here, but this, this is a team that a lot of people were very eager to see how this year would look. You know, they were one of the last teams into the field of 64 last year. Uh, there's it was probably relatively controversial that they made it. Um, and now uh, how are they going to follow up on that? They lost a fair amount of talent to pro ball. Well, so far I think they're looking all right. Um, you know, we'll get to Texas A&M and what happened there this weekend, but, you know, it certainly looks like Alabama's better than them right now. And, you know, Auburn looked good a week ago. They didn't look quite as good this last weekend against Yale. They got the wins, but uh, they had to work harder than I would have expected. You know, I, I feel like Alabama can – I'm not saying Alabama's ready to compete with Ole Miss and LSU at the top of this division, but I, I, don't, I don't see Alabama as being – miles behind that group either Alrighty, right let's uh let's keep it moving here let's head out west joe um sacramento state goes down to long beach state on the weekend and, and there was a lot of excitement probably from from the long beach state fans they were coming home to their home opener after winning that big series at mississippi state last weekend uh, and what happened was not what they would have expected. Sacramento State goes into Blair Field and sweeps the series. They win three one-run games. Uh, they were very tight affairs. Uh, the the Hornets really got to the dirtbags bullpen all three days. Uh, Friday night, one to nothing. In, in 10 innings on a Cesar Valero leadoff homer in the 10th. They win five to four in each of the next two days. Sundays was particularly jarring uh, for Long Beach State as they gave up those five runs in the final three innings and closer Devereaux Harrison, you know, your Team USA closer, gave up four of the runs uh, and they, they end up getting swept. So quite the turnaround for the dirtbags after the, the high they were riding coming out of Duty Noble Field a week ago, and on the flip side, now Sac State is undefeated on the year. More on that in a second. But they're undefeated, and they uh, they, they get into the top twenty-five at number twenty. Uh, just uh, it, it's the best start, at least in Division One program history. I didn't look through their Division Two program <laughs> history to see if they've ever been seven and zero. But as a Division One program, which dates to nineteen ninety, they've never started a season seven and zero, uh, and they're they're in a great spot now, as uh, uh, you know, just in terms of momentum and confidence.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was no surprise that Sacramento State went in and played well in this series. Like, I think most people who have been at least been paying attention to it historically would have predicted such a thing because it's just it's a good program. They're good every year. They've done a really nice, you know, uh, Reggie Christensen's done a really it's good like job. Nine
0: straight years of thirty plus wins.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just really consistent. They're always good. They're, you know, they it's, the, the floor is really high for them every year. And so the fact that they played well, the fact that they even won a game is not really surprising, but the, the fact that they swept it and it's, you know, you know fluky is not the right word because that that is pejorative and it takes something away from Sacramento State. But there was just something to the way they were able to kind of dig deep in each of these games because they really all just came down to late home runs. Like all three games, a late home run is what turned it around. There was one for you know, Valero, there's one for Josh rolling. There was one for Steven Moretto, um, you know, just at the John, right moment shortchange
0: Cesar, he, he hit two and they were both pretty significant.
1: Mm, oh, there you go. I just, it was, uh, he had a
0: three run homer to tie the game on Sunday mm. in addition to his game winner.
1: Oh, how about that? Yeah. So the, the three guys that hit the go ahead home runs anyway, Valero, Moretto yes. <laughs> and, and Rolling in order. Um uh, let me rephrase. Um, is they just came through in the right moments. I mean, whether you want to believe there's something to that, or if those things just kind of happen, um, they were the team that came up with that in those moments. And you have to think, you know, there, there is something in the program DNA that allows that to happen. And it is a pretty, you know, relatively veteran lineup. And so there is something to that, perhaps um, a team that expects to win a team that expects to play really, really well. So that was, that was certainly that. And I think on the flip side of it is that, what they got on the mound was really impressive and and in particular it's a a guy like eli saul doing what he did it's a guy who there's been a lot of buzz about since he got on campus i remember i i named him the preseason freshman of the year in in the whack preview in 2020 and of course we'll never know how that turned out and then last year he just never really got going Uh, the stuff is really good um and he you know pitched really well this weekend he he was far from alone though in, in that group um yeah, it was a just really solid pitching performance all around for Sacramento state. And it, it leads me to the idea that, you know, I think this weekend we saw a little more of the long beach that we saw on Friday and Sunday of the Mississippi state series than the one we saw on Saturday, which really kind of rolled up on Mississippi state and allowed things to snowball when they scored 13 runs. And this is where I start to talk about the transitive property a little bit where then you look at Mississippi state and in a series we we won't really talk about here, but, they had kind of a similar thing happen to them in the Friday game at Northern Kentucky, where they just couldn't keep Northern Kentucky from scoring. I mean, Northern Kentucky scored in like five different half innings. It wasn't like one big inning where things got away on one pitcher. Like they were mixing and matching in the bullpen and they just couldn't stop them. And so that's where you can kind of use the transitive property to say, like, well, okay, maybe, maybe this is what's actually happening here. We don't know. We'll have to see. But I did find it interesting that that kind of similar thing that, Long Beach did in the one game where they scored a bunch of runs opening weekend. Also, happened to Mississippi State again last weekend against a, a far lesser opponent than Long Beach. Uh, the bats just weren't necessarily there for Long Beach. They had a, a handful of big innings, but there were just a lot of zeros throughout the entire weekend.
0: Yeah, Long Beach uh, definitely scuffled at the plate. And, you know, a lot should be made of Sac State's pitchers. Uh, I don't know exactly where Eli Saul is going to land in the draft. But I know I. you have to feel like he caught some people's attention on Friday night. He's a guy that has been on scouts radars. Uh, but anyone that was there to see Luis Ramirez, and I'm sure there were plenty of eyes on that uh, because of what he had done the week before against Landed Sims. And by the way, Luis Ramirez still has yet to give up a run this season and has given up like three hits or something on the year. Uh, very, very impressive himself. But Saul went toe-to-toe with him. 7 and 2 scoreless uh before you know yield into the bullpen. Colin Hunter, freshman, threw a no-hitter last week against Northern Illinois. He gave up some runs uh in in the Sunday game. He gave up the four runs. It was all in one inning, but you know there were some infield hits in that inning just kind of some not fluky stuff necessarily, but just, you know, it it wasn't like they were scorching the ball against him, but then he settled down and was able to get through six. And Reggie Christensen told me that that was really the key to that game that they don't, they don't sweep. If Colin Hunter, a freshman isn't able to, you know, settle himself re-engage and then throw up a bunch of zeros to get them through six innings. They, at that point, the Hornets were getting, you know, they didn't have the bullpen to manage a, a full, a full bullpen day there, uh, so that could have gone away from them. It didn't, and uh, that's a credit to to a freshman and, and and to the the rest of the Hornets that you know they got down in that game and they didn't care. Um, you know, they already had a series win. They didn't care. So I I think it says a lot about Sac State here, um, and you know we'll, we'll see where they go from here. Now, Joe, I asked you this question yesterday offline. Um, the WAC this year has a new look. They brought in those teams from Texas, uh, Abilene Christian, Sam Houston, um, Stephen F. Austin, and Tarleton. Is that, is that the four teams that brought Tarleton in? Tarleton
1: was already there. Did you say Lamar?
0: Uh, I did not say Lamar. I knew there was a yeah. fourth
1: Texas team. So th- those yeah, teams Tarleton all come in.
0: There, so. And, and so you add that to, to the group. Um Sam Houston, kind of mixed bag to start the season, but we know what they're capable of. They, they beat Nebraska and then lost, got swept by Dallas Baptist this weekend. Um, you know, Grand Canyon and has, has played well to this point and Cal Baptist has played well. They can't go to the postseason, but they can help your RPI. I don't know, like Sac State having this on the, on the resume now can't, you know, Sam Houston, having Nebraska on the resume, um, You know, Grand Canyon's going to pick off some high-quality wins. They beat Arizona midweek. They, uh, you know, grabbed one game at Irvine this weekend. They're going to keep doing stuff like that. Do you think we can talk about the 2 bid whack at some point this season, or is all that happened this weekend, uh, you know, Sac State raised its profile. We poked some holes in Long Beach State, and this is a good thing to keep in mind if you see Sac State in your regional, but this is still – you know, kind of whack tournament or bust for, for the Hornets.
1: Yeah, I would love for it to be the I would love for it to be the optimistic look of maybe this ends up being a two-bit conference. I just I don't know that the current configuration of the league is gonna really be conducive to that. Now what they need, what SAC State really needs is for Grand Canyon, which is now sitting at three and four, but to your point has, has picked off Arizona. They won a game against a Nevada team to start the season that that we think is pretty good. They picked off a game on the road against Irvine and look, and we're right in those other two games in the series. What, what Sac State really needs is Grand Canyon to be as good as they've been the last few years and really help them out maybe and pick off some more of these games, which Grand Canyon has against, again, Arizona, Oregon state, Arizona state. We'll see how good they end up being, but Texas tech, Stanford. Um, There's a lot of opportunity on this Grand Canyon schedule. And if Sac State's going to get in that mix, they're going to need it from them because I say all that to say the WAC is going two divisions for those listeners who don't know, basically all of the Texas teams are in one division. Everyone else is in the other division. And so basically they're in a division, they being Sac State are in a division with most of the teams that were in the league last year. Now Northern Colorado has left the league. So, that is one team that really struggled just in general, but also from an RPI perspective. But you're still looking at they're going to play games against here. I'm going to, I'm going to do some counting, which makes for good audio. One, two, three, four teams they're going to play whose RPIs were above 200, um, which is not helpful. Um, so, that obviously creates a lot of landmines on their schedule. Now, they do get two series against Grand Canyon, which is why I Emphasize the Grand Canyon part of this, but they're they're not going to play Sam Houston. And Lamar is off to a, a reasonably, reasonably nice start, and they're going to get some midweek opportunities against good teams, but they don't play them. Um, so the way it's been kind of triaged is creating a situation where you're not going to get those good cross-pollinated matchups. And look, you might not have anyway just because the league is so big you can't play everyone every year. So even if they'd crossed the divisions to play during the regular season more. There was no guarantee of who you'd end up getting to play. But as it is, Sac State's going to miss out on some of the better opponents. And I think they're going to be overrepresented among the worst teams in the WAC, unfortunately. So I just have a hard time seeing it being in the cards. That being said, if we do see some improvement from some of these programs in the WAC, I, I do think it can get there. I mean, we've we've seen... Cal Baptist and Grand Canyon and Sac State be so consistent, and we know what Sam Houston's capable of, and I think there's some upside potential with with Tarleton. I think that team could be um, uh, an Abilene Christian. You know, I think those teams have some upside potential there, especially being that they're in a, a pretty decent recruiting area. I just don't think for 2022 it's it's going to be quite in the cards. But I'd I'd love to be wrong about that as a guy who who likes seeing teams uh, leagues rise up to be two bid conferences. But I I just I'm not sure I'd bet on it.
0: I mentioned that Sac State was undefeated and we would get back to that. So Sac State is undefeated. You'll see there, there has been some chatter online that like, hey, they lost to NAIA British Columbia on Tuesday. And they did. They lost four to three and seven and eights to NAIA British Columbia. You will not see any reference to that on Sac State's schedule page. Uh, it is just an exhibition game. Um, and like, look, you can think of that however you want to think of it. Like they played, they kept score, you know, normal players for Sac State played. Although it clearly, you know, if you do look at a box score, uh, which British Columbia has, like, you know, it, it, it's clear what, what is happening there. Uh, but it was a seven in game, first of all. And then second of all, it is irrelevant towards RPI. Like when, when the NCAA selection committee goes and looks at that, uh, they, Eliminate all non-Division one games from your, like those don't count into RPI. So I'm going to count Sac State as undefeated. If you want to throw in the fact that they lost an exhibition game to NAIA British Columbia on Tuesday night, like, uh, you know, that's fair, but it's not, it's not really representative of what happened. Teams out West do this weird thing. Sometimes you you see them playing, uh, you know, some pro teams that, that come to the States, I obviously not in the times of COVID, but, um, you know, some Asian pro teams, you know, come to the States to train and they'll throw in a game against a college team or I, it, it does seem to be a very West coast thing for this to happen. Uh, but that is a, uh, that is a thing that happened, uh, in, in, Sac States
1: week. Shout out to NC dinos.
0: Yes,
2: <laughs> that, that is the
0: primary, uh, team that, that comes over but they're not it's not exclusively the nc dinos um so you mentioned mississippi state losing to northern kentucky on friday uh briefly on that man i don't know what to think the norse uh were blown out opening weekend at east tennessee state then they go in and they beat landon sims on friday night and it wasn't even the way that Long beach state beat Landon Sims, and like, I'm using air quotes, like, yeah, okay, they they got the run against Landon Sims, uh, and, and he took the L officially. I uh, know that NKU really got to Sims a little bit more, um, and they go on to win 7-6, to six. and Mississippi State came back and won the series, and, and that's all well and good, but NKU is a team, again, that got blown out by East Tennessee State on opening weekend, did not look good doing it from my understanding. And they, you know, go out th- th- this year, they're, they have a new coach. They lost their best player as a transfer to Oklahoma State, and they were picked preseason to finish fifth in the Horizon League. I don't want to overblow one loss. Uh, these things happen. But, you know, here we are early in the season. It's what we do. And Mississippi State losing on a Friday to a team like that, just, you know, it, it's, it's going to stand out a little bit more.
1: Yeah, it was jarring, uh, you know. Just um, yeah, just a, a weird combination of of the of the teams there, where it's you know Northern Kentucky, which I think everyone kind of understands is, you know a program that's um, struggled in its transition to D- Division One. It hasn't been Division One that long, and just yeah, just the, the fact that it was that program beating Mississippi State at home, and I think it's at this point clear that Mississippi State's come out a little bit flat. Um, now that they've fought, kind of fought through it. I think to a certain degree, um, you know, they came back and, and won that series. And so they're, you know, they're, they're not sitting here at, at one in five or anything or whatever, but, um, but yeah, I think it's safe to say they've come out a little bit flat and, you know, is that a little bit of a hangover from everything that went into last year? And, you know, you do have a lot of those same guys. So is it, uh, I don't want to say tough to motivate, cause I don't think that's accurate, but just. Is it, you know, just a different feel to this team? And they're trying to figure out who they are as a team. And, and we talked a little about losing the heartbeat guys at the beginning of last year and Roddy Jordan and, and Tanner Allen. And they did a really good job continuing it on after their, the biggest of heartbeat guys, Jake Mangum, moved on. Um, they they really just kind of kept moving in the right direction after he departed. And, and maybe this time it's going to take a little more, a more time. But um, whatever the reason, they've they've just come out of the gate a little bit flat. I suspect they will get it together. And, and ultimately, you know, we're talking about you know a series loss to a team we think is good even if they they did just turn around and get swept and then a a one-off loss to a team that we don't think is that good but can happen to really anybody and frankly if this happened on a tuesday we'd be less less worried about it it's just oh that, yeah you know, it's
0: entirely that they beat Landon sims like i wouldn't even yeah. care if it happened on a sunday really i would just like okay it happens
1: right yeah so Is what it is, I guess. Um, They they will press on, and and to my earlier point, you know, they're still they're still mostly winning games, and so that's um, you know at least since the the the, the first weekend. So we'll see. I just uh, I'm willing to chalk it up to uh, just a weird thing that happened.
0: All right, let's talk about some more weird things that happened, and that is uh, the Ivy League came back uh, this weekend after nearly two years away. We we talked about that on the preview that the Ivy League canceled all sports uh, last school year. Uh, they allowed some very hyper-local competition, but only Penn took advantage of that, and they played all of 14 games, most of which came against LaSalle. Uh, so that's all the Ivy League baseball we, we've we had since, like, March 11th, 2020. Until this weekend, they came back. The Ancient Eight were, were back on the diamond, and they came back with a vengeance. The headliner here is that Penn went to Texas A&M and won a series. It's... Really Penn's biggest series win, they they did some stuff, like they beat Duke, I want to say it was, like a couple of midweek games or something a few years ago. Like it's not the biggest series for, in Penn baseball in like 50 years, but it is the first time that Penn beat an SEC team since 1923. Uh, so there's that. Uh, And frankly, I don't even know if the SEC existed. I've been, I I have neglected to look this up all weekend and I've just been very careful and said SEC member. So nobody can tell me that the SEC didn't exist in 1923 when they beat Georgia. Uh, But anyway, Penn went out and did that. We'll talk about uh, the Quakers and what that means for the Aggies and all the rest of that. Harvard beat Miami on Friday night. And really they they took it to the Canes a little bit. Uh, They had to come back twice in that game and then ran away with it a little bit. 11 to six. And then they pushed Miami as hard as they could on Tuesday or on Saturday, lost two to one uh, Sunday, Miami took care of business and and won the series, but that was a really nice showing for Harvard, which has the best prospect in the league and Adam stone, their Friday starter. Uh, he was good, not great. Um, that like, he's not the reason why they won the game necessarily. So, you know, that's even better news for, for Harvard that they were able to, to do it uh, with a, you know, not not Adam Stone at, at his very best, which you wouldn't expect on, on opening day. Um, Dartmouth took a game off of Louisville. Columbia took a game off of Stetson. Uh, Brown grabbed a game at Memphis. It was it was a nice weekend for the Ivy League, uh, all told. But really, it's all about the Quakers uh, and, and going out and, and winning that series in College Station.
1: Yeah, it turns out those 14 games last year made a difference, huh? Like that's, uh, <laughs> that's the only thing I could see. Yeah, it, it kind of weird. Like, kind of a weird. I'd, I'd love to. Maybe someone has done this reporting out there, but, but perhaps uh, I guess most likely not. It, like, why Penn was the only one to do it, and no one else even really bothered to to try. It seemed, and what what made it, them Like, I can give versus- you. Like,
0: I I don't have precise answers on like why no one else tried. But so, the way the Ivy League worded it last year was that like you had to meet certain thresholds, and then the athletic department had to allow it. Penn's athletic director is i can't remember what committee she's on i think she's like the committee chair for uh the division one like some big division one committee so like maybe they were a little more motivated to try and do something is is what i'm trying to get at and then you also had to play exclusively local competition and penn is obviously in a city with a lot of you know local competition so is harvard but you know i i imagine that it would have been harder for Dartmouth say to uh to meet the uh the requirements there so I think Penn was in a good spot to meet the requirements that the Ivy League laid out but it was a little strange to me that only Penn took advantage of it
1: yeah and then played 14 games like not even played three you know like four anyway you know they got um, out there yeah they really did um yeah so who know like I wrote about this in three strikes the Ivy League returning and you know, the idea that like, who knows who the favorite is here? You know, if you want to say, I I joked, but like, if you want to say that, well, Penn knows a little bit more about its team, like, I think that is a little bit of an advantage. Um, They actually had something to practice. Like we can talk about like how hard teams, and I got, you know, when I talked to Enzo Stefanoni for UConn, like he talked about, you know, we at Harvard, like we trained pretty hard at Harvard, even though we weren't going to play. And i but I believe him. I'm not, calling, I'm not saying that's not true, but it's different when you're preparing to actually get on the field. Um, so I do think there is a little bit of an advantage there for Penn, but you know, Harvard won the auto bid in 2019. Like Yale is typically one of the better programs in the conference. And they've got a little bit of a sentimental favorite thing about them with their coach retiring, but who knows, like who knows what to to think about this conference this year, but certainly. Uh, and, and by the way, you, you mentioned all that. Like, I don't think, that has we've been dissuaded from that in any way by what we saw this past weekend where you know the teams acquitted themselves as, as well as they did you know Penn was the one that actually got the the series win but you know is it more impressive that harvard stuck with miami all weekend maybe you know given the quality of opponent there because to move forward on the the discussion about a&m and, and pin is that you know i think we knew going into it that a&m was in a Bit of a uh, to put it lightly was in a bit of a transition year. They went hard into the portal, I think, as an attempt to kind of just really spin up and be competitive in year one and give it their best shot to be as competitive as possible in 2022. With the idea that 2023 would actually start the the big turnover of the roster. Um And so, who knows what that's going to look like? But certainly, a series loss to to Penn. Um, is is not necessarily exactly what they were looking for i don't know we'll have to see like i still some of the things i've seen like mike you know Micah dallas has been pretty good from them he's one of their the incoming transfers like jack moss has been good troy clonch has been good dylan rock is hitting the ball pretty well so like it seems to have worked um it's just that i i don't think there was enough depth there when they got there to really uh, create a situation where this team was going to be any more competitive than it is Although it was clear with some of the the ways in I mean AM wanted this series, um, you know, you pointed out to me, I, I was not aware at the time. You pointed out to me that you know they used a reliever in Joseph Menefee in both ends of a doubleheader yesterday, and like you, you don't in do that in February. Yeah, <laughs> like. you don't do that unless you really want that series. Like they they wanted it, and like I'm not saying they, they shouldn't want it, but you just you just don't see that kind of thing in February. So um, it strikes me that this is a program really really scratching and clawing to try to figure out where they are and who they are.
0: Yeah. I I think the way in which they lost this series is pretty rough. Um, They lose on Friday, two to one, then Saturday gets postponed into a Sunday doubleheader. So they just sit with that for a day. And I'm I'm sure that was a load of fun for the Aggies. Uh, And then they go out and they win the first game. And, you know, if they, they just, and then they get a lead. In the second game and if they just close that out we're probably not talking about this like certainly not this long we probably just know that hey like harvard won on friday and penn won on friday and isn't that cool we're so glad the ivy league's back and we're moving on now but they didn't they couldn't hold a lead um penn scored i think it was five runs in the ninth inning to uh flip a 5-3 deficit and do an 8-5 lead and then they closed out the game in the, in the bottom half and it was like the, one of the last things going on Sunday night because it was a doubleheader, header. Uh, and it, it was just like a rough way to finish. What must've just been a, a rough weekend all the way around cold weekend in college station. And uh, here you are, you know, on the wrong end of, uh, of a series against an Ivy league team. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the series is going to mean long run for a ms hopes this year. Ivy league teams are not in the business of finishing in the top 100 of RPI. Um, so it's not going to do anything positive for AM from that standpoint, making regionals this year was always going to be a bit of an uphill battle. And it always was going to be more about what happened in the sec than anything else uh, for Texas AM. If Penn, does not produce in terms of RPI. And again, there's not a whole lot of history of Ivy League teams doing that. Uh then AM is gonna have lost some of the uh you know margin for error that exists for SEC teams. And you know that that's a tough place to be. But right now, I mean I, I think that they're just you know trying to figure out what they've got on the mound. And you know that that's that's probably the the primary question right now for the Aggies.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, they're not going to have a lot of, I mean, they've got a decent tournament this weekend in, in Frisco with Washington state and Iowa and in Wichita state. And like, some of that'll be pre, like, certainly there's not nothing there is bad in terms of if they take losses, but then they've got a series with Santa Clara. So really it just comes down to like, how ready can they possibly get themselves for sec play once that comes around. And then when push comes to shove, can you win, can you shoot for and win 15 sec games? Like it feels like that's really what it's going to come to. Cause if they do that, their number is going to be pretty close. And like, maybe the right. pin series I, does I, end I, up being a little bit of a, 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 some, a, something of a tiebreaker there, but that's what it's going to
0: be. You know it, What it does though, I think, is it says you have to be, you have to be a 15 win sec team. Because, you know, we've seen teams get in with 13, you know, Alabama got in with 12 last year. They didn't play 30, they played 29. Um, they picked up some wins in the sec tournament. We, we see that happen. Now there, there was that year where they kind of drew a hard line and said, well, we don't want teams under 500 in the conference. And they've gone away from that. But you know, those sec teams, you know, LSU and Alabama last year with 12 and 13 SEC wins had top 30 RPIs. And, you know, say, wait, I said plenty about what RPI did and didn't mean last year, but a is going to struggle to produce that kind of RPI number this year if they don't put up a whole bunch of SEC wins, at which point it won't be an issue. So, I, yeah, that, that's what I mean by removing margin of error. They're, they're really pushing themselves to now be a 500 SEC team.
1: I think, by the way, you know, They also I mean, their SEC schedule sets up to where like they're probably going to be closer to this than I expect, unless things just really don't go well for them. But I mean, their schedule, I mean, they've got Auburn, they've got Alabama, they've got Kentucky, they've got South Carolina. Um, Now they've obviously got smattered in there a whole bunch of incredibly difficult series. But like the wins are out there if this team is, you know, is competitive in the SEC. We'll we'll have to see. But the, the schedule is not necessarily the worst case scenario for them to be able to pull something like that off
0: growth that, that is what you're going to be looking for over the next couple of weeks for, for ADM is, is growth from this. And in the meantime, shout out to Penn. Uh, what a way to uh to re- return to, you know, I don't want to say return to competition, but you know, major competition, like competing for with uh you know the knowledge that you can actually like make the NCAA tournament as opposed to playing um you know just uh just a smattering of games uh for uh for the love of the game and, and all the rest of that. Uh, Alrighty, let's uh, let's keep it moving here, and we are going to to head to Maryland and Campbell. You were at the first game of this series there in, uh, in Buies Creek, North Carolina, and Maryland took care of business on the weekend. They sweep the Camels. The Terps are now seven and zero for the first time in program history. They're into the top twenty five. Uh, it is. It was a it was a very strong weekend for Maryland on the mound, as was opening weekend in a which was a sweep at Baylor. Uh, a lot to like about the Terps, Joe, from from afar. What did you see up close? Well,
1: it's a team that is really good on the mound. Uh, you know, I, I saw a really good performance from from Nick Dean, and it should be said. You know, Maryland had a bit of a strange season last year. I was actually there in Greenville when they started their season, and they did they didn't look very good. Um, but they made a run late in the season. They ended up in the final of the regional in, in Greenville in East Carolina. And they, you know, coach Rob Vaughan actually points to Nick Dean being in the rotation as what kind of spurred Maryland on during that run. And then, oh, by the way, he injures his wrist late in the year and can't pitch in that regional. And, you know, it felt like Maryland was a pitcher or two short in that regional would they have wanted against a, a really good East Carolina team. I wouldn't have bet on that, um, but it would have been interesting to see had that played out that way. So Um, his, his stuff has improved. Like he's, he's always been kind of, he was a, frankly, a workhorse for them last year. He didn't throw that many innings because a, the big 10 didn't play as many games. And then B, he started the year with mono and into the year with a wrist injury, but the stuff is better this year. You know, his, his fastball changeup combination has kind of always been what it's been. Um, But the fastball has picked up some pace this year. It's now in the low nineties. The changeup is still excellent. His curveball can get some swing and miss. It used to just kind of be like a deal where you you flip it in there for a strike early and counts to kind of, you know, keep a hitter off balance. It's now getting whiffs. So he looks like a real Friday dude for them, but the rest of the weekend, you know, Ryan Ramsey and Jason Savakul came behind him and, and gave them seven innings as well. All three starters gave them seven um, innings in their starts this weekend. And that's above and beyond what you can reasonably expect. And, and all three of those guys were were pretty dominant. So we'll have to see what they have in the bullpen. I like that the veteran Sean Hine did a really nice job on Friday, came in in a tough spot. Uh, really was just in a situation where it was a tough enough spot where I think they really just had him in there to kind of like minimize damage. They were up one, nothing. I think they were kind of hoping, Hey, let's keep it one, one or two, one at worst. Then let's go back and hit. Uh, he ends up getting him out of it. But because the starting pitching has been so good. And that also was true last weekend against Baylor, you know, they really haven't got a chance to really spread their wings in the bullpen yet. So we'll have to see what they have there. Exactly but in terms of starting pitching, it's been excellent. And offensively you're starting off with a core of Maxwell Costas and Matt Shaw. And I think that's a really good one, two punch, you know, Costas, if he hadn't gotten off to as slow a slowest start as he did last year, like he might not be back at Maryland, you know, he might've been in pro baseball at this point. And Matt Shaw himself is a, is a prospect for this coming draft. So I don't know if, it feels like a team that's maybe a little light offensively, uh, to my eyes, at least so far. But certainly with those two guys, you've you've got a really good core to build around.
0: I, I like the core. You gotta like those two guys. Bubba out. Al- is it Bubba Allian Al Al-Aurane? Aline. Aline. Okay. Bubba
1: Aline, yeah.
0: I should know that. He's been in college literally, I think six years now. But it's a long time, yeah. <laughs> he's uh you know, he, he's a, a great piece to have such a veteran guy patrolling the outfield for you. And, uh, you know, a really good defender and, and that rotation is the best rotation in the big 10. I know I've said a lot of good things about Iowa to this point, but, um, you know, Maryland should have the best rotation in the big 10. And as long as those guys keep clicking the way they've clicked, uh, to start the season, they can play with anyone and no, they're, they're not going to be the most offensive team. I don't think. Um, but, with that rotation you don't need to be the most offensive team and the other thing i I really love about this team so far is that they they have played one home game they they were able to get a a home game in midweek against uh umbc but to go on the road and to sweep two teams that okay campbell is really fighting it right now they're like one and six uh but we, we think that, you know, that's the big South favorite. They've played a tough schedule. I think at the end of the year, that, that series is going to hold up as being a, a strong sweep for the Turks. And Baylor, I, you know what, we had Steve Rodriguez on the podcast. We talked about how interesting Baylor was to us this year. After that opening weekend uh, against Maryland, I was a little concerned, but all Baylor did in response was go out and win a series against Duke. Now, it remains to be seen what Duke is this year, but that, you know, Duke is, uh, as as somebody said in basketball once, certainly Duke is Duke. And in baseball, that used to mean the bottom of the ACC, but that's not what that means anymore. Uh, you know, I, I think that's a regional team that, that Baylor just took care of. So all of that is to say that I think Baylor's still a solid team. And that for Maryland to go out and get two solid sweeps on the road to start the year, uh, that that sounds pretty loud to me.
1: Yeah, I think I think what you've seen from from Maryland as they've already you know, set the, the foundation for an at-large resume when you talk about the sweep of Baylor, a team that we think is a regional team. And the sweep of Campbell that like may or may not be, but that's a talented enough team that plays a difficult enough schedule, not so much in the Big South necessarily, but they play a lot of quality midweek games, that even if Campbell doesn't end up with the type of resume or, or uh, record that we think uh, – um, that we thought they could have coming into the season. Like that's still going to be a team. That's not really going to hurt you there. So they've got that going for them. They also this weekend have games against Michigan, Indiana state and East Carolina as part of the Keith Leclerc classic in Greenville. And then of course, you know, well, and then a, a road series against Dallas Baptist coming up in March. And then of course that the big 10 schedule, moving on from there. So, um, if you're Maryland, you're, you're really sitting pretty now you, you have to follow through and you have to, you have to do it, but they have done the work so far to set themselves up to be an at large team. If they don't, of course, get the, the automatic bid here. And you mentioned it, Campbell still being the big South favorite. I think that's still true. And the other thing I would say is after this weekend, I started to be inclined to be like, well, it, it kind of feels like, especially that series lost to Appalachian state. That's the one that's obviously a little more concerning. But after that, uh, after the, this past weekend, I kind of thought, you know, Campbell may have missed its opportunity. Like this, this, this may not be a team that could be an at-large team again. Uh, But then I was kind of reminded that last year, I mean, they won a series against Liberty to start the season. And then after that, their best resume items were the two series wins they got against USC upstate in conference and upstate had a really good year. So I don't want to downplay that too much, but you know, on paper, like if I presented that to you at the beginning of the year and said, Is this an at-large team? You'd probably go, No, like it's a good team, but that's probably not an at-large resume. And yet mean, it look, was.
0: When when we were putting together the field of 64 that last week, the the projections and Campbell lost in the Big South tournament. I they're a bunch of computer trickers last year. Like they did not they drafted off of USC upstate so well. Like they didn't do the hard lifting. They beat upstate and upstate did the heavy lifting by beating ACC teams and Liberty did the heavy lifting by beating ACC teams. It wasn't Campbell. And look, Campbell went out and played really well in the regional and they were a good team. But if you threw that resume up against ball state and said, which one of these mid majors has a at large resume, like for me, it wasn't close, but Campbell had the RPI number. And, you know, so can they get that RPI number this year? Like they're going to need some help from the big South because they got a lot of help from the big South last year. Um, but yeah, it, regardless, it, it's a talented team. We know what Zach Neto is. We, we know what, what some of those players are. Um, you know, we saw them play last year in Starkville. Uh, so I, I don't know that they're going to be able to, to do it this year because last year was a goofy year and they, got a lot of help it wasn't it wasn't so much that they went out and beat the acc teams they went out and beat teams that had good uh good rpi numbers and, and look I, south carolina upstate was a good team last year liberty was a good team last year i don't want to take that away from campbell but uh they're going to need something like that to happen this year like we didn't expect upstate to provide that kind of boost so somebody on this schedule is going to have to provide them a boost
1: well yeah what i would say is um and i'll i'll uh, apologize to the listeners who th- this might just sound like droning and sound like a lot of minutia, but you know uh teddy and i have, have veered directly into like my sweet spot in terms of things i like to analyze on schedules but <laughs> the thing, the thing i know it's not exactly the most compelling audio for everyone but uh you know let's get in the weeds here like now let's also mitigate the, the 2021. <laughs> yeah let's, that's, that's right yeah let's let's bust open the books on the 2021 bracket and really look at it again you know, um the thing about it is though last year so yes it's true they drafted hard off USC Upstate. The flip side though that that I would look at as a positive for this year is that last year they also played something like 37 Big South games. That is true, I think they yes. were 28 and 9 in the Big South and most of that wasn't USC Upstate. And so what they have on the schedule now is they still have a series with Liberty they have a series with West Virginia in addition to a bunch of ACC midweek games and this weekend they have you know who knows what Ohio State and Pitt are in addition to Army but they have some games this weekend that could potentially be helpful so it doesn't have to be a big south team it would be nice if it was a big south team that helps them because that RPI gets mixed in with every team you play right so like USC Upstate's number affects the games that Campbell played against USC upstate, but it also affects every other game that Campbell is playing in the big South. So would it be helpful if there's a team like that in the league? Yes. But it also could be that Liberty is awesome this year, which they they look like they very well could be Uh, is West Virginia better than we think they are. And they end up being a quality team in the big 12, you know Um, so there are some opportunities for it to be a team, not in the big South that helps them out, but you're right. Your larger point I think is hundred percent correct, which is that, you know, last year they got a lot of help. And they, given the start they're on, uh, they're probably going to need it again this year.
0: All right, I think those were the uh, the main items we wanted to touch on. You mentioned West Virginia there; they got uh, they, they played well this weekend at Charlotte. Um, there were there were some intriguing results around the country. Texas State swept Ohio State, which uh, that was that was eyebrow raising. Uh, we talked a little bit about the tournament in Corpus Christi, and I waxed poetically about Iowa. Uh, they played well on. They played well throughout the weekend, but they uh, they took some l's. Um, you know, Joe. Any, anything else that you wanted to to quickly quickly shout out from from around the country? Oh, uh, you know, Tommy White continued to rake and uh, continues to. He got a lot of attention this weekend, deservedly so, as he now has nine home runs in eight games this year. All of them on the weekend, interestingly, did not hit any midweek, uh, but nine home runs in in, in eight games this year for Tommy White.
1: Yeah, he's uh, he's swinging it well, as they might say. Shout out to uh, Brad Malm of Albany, who has. Yes, indeed. Brad Malm of Albany, eight home runs. Uh, so keeping keeping pace there, the the home run race that we all anticipated coming into the season. <laughs> Tommy White, freshman of NC State, against Brad Malm from Albany. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it. But, you know, Dallas Baptist getting back on the horse a little bit after losing the Semo series. This is another transitive property weirdness thing where like Dallas Baptist, uh, you know, takes down Sam Houston State, and now you wonder about Nebraska even more than you already did because oh by the way, Nebraska got swept by TCU talk about teams that are really fighting it right now. So, but, but Dallas Baptist, you know, we we talked a little bit about not great for the at-large hopes they can't mess around too much. And they, they took care of business against Sam Houston um, over the weekend, which kind of puts them back on what I would consider back on course to do what we kind of expected them to do coming into the year.
0: Tulane, uh, beat La Tech. We talked about that series on, on the preview pod, uh, as well, and, uh, sets up an intriguing weekend, uh, with mississippi state coming to uh coming into town so a lot of a lot of interesting stuff around the country i feel like we're continuing to learn uh, obviously week, week by week but we're uh we're, we're, we're building a, a better knowledge base uh, around around the country and, and that is that is only going to continue this weekend a lot busier this weekend the the headliners the shriners college classic they're in houston an outstanding field uh, we got some great rivalry series between the ACC and the SEC, just uh, a lot going on here. Week three is always one of the big ones in college baseball, and this year is no exception to that. So very excited to to talk about that uh, later this week on our preview podcast. We'll be back here on Thursday with another edition of the Baseball America College podcast previewing week three. So make sure you're subscribed to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find us. Please hit follow, subscribe, whatever the nomenclature is uh, on that app, and we'll we'll pop straight into your phone there twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. You can follow Joe and me on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy, B-A, and all the content is over at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, you can read the the top 25 with the the capsules uh, that Joe writes about the results from the weekend. You can read off the bat where this week I, I have a dozen thoughts. Um, if, you, if you need more thoughts from me, I've got a dozen of them about uh, the weekend uh, and the action around the country. And there will be more to follow throughout the week. All right. Uh, I am going to honor Penn baseball by uh, going to Wawa for lunch. Um, that's, uh, that was a promise I made on Twitter when they were, if they could close out the series, I would, I would get Wawa for lunch on, on Monday. So we're, uh, we're going to go do that right now for Joe. I'm Teddy. Thank you for listening.